the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, March the 22nd, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On March 22nd, 1894, hockey's first Stanley Cup championship game was played. The home team won. Montreal defeated Ottawa 3-1, if you're a hockey fan. Today in 1765, the British Parliament passed the Stamp Act. That was to raise money from the American colonies, which fiercely resisted the tax and the act. The Stamp Act was repealed a year later, but the colonists didn't get over it. They were still very upset. In fact, that was one of the main stepping stones in the path to the Declaration of Independence. Today in 1882... President Chester Allen Arthur, he signed a measure outlawing polygamy. Today, in 1941, the Grand Coulee Electro Hydroelectrical Dam in Washington State officially went into operation. Yeah, Washington's own Grand Coulee Dam started operation today in 1941. Today, in 1993, Intel Corp. unveiled the original Pentium computer chip that changed the industry. Today in 2010, Google stopped censoring the internet for China by shifting its search engine off the mainland to Hong Kong. Today in 2019, Special Counsel Robert Mueller, remember him? (laughs) He closed his Russian investigation on Donald Trump with no new charges, delivering his final report to the Justice Department officials. After several years and $40 million at least, the investigation was concluded and they found nothing. That's how desperate these people are to destroy Donald Trump. I I say this not in support of him necessarily. He doesn't need my support, but I say this in absolute, it's astounding. I've never in my life, and I've observed politics from a very young age, and I've always known that that was an important part of our culture and so on, particularly for Christians to be informed and to know what's going on. And as a young man, I followed politics, and I've never seen anyone hated as much as the people who, who hate Trump hate him. I mean, not everybody does, obviously, but the people that hate him are just, they're almost uncontrollable. This is one of a list of a long list of attempts to try to destroy the man financially, politically, personally. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There's, you know, the news now is continuing about, you know, is Trump going to be, you know, indicted? Is he going to be sent to prison and so on? And the 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 news out of uh, Europe this morning, <laughs> interestingly enough. They're saying that Trump will not be arraigned this week 
Former president is expected to be indicted tomorrow, which is, they wrote this late last night, so I think tomorrow is today, but it might be tomorrow, Thursday. Um, they say that he makes he's making plans for his surrender and appearance in the New York court next week. Um, a source familiar with the proceedings exclusively told the Daily Mail that there will be no arraignment this week. And on and on it goes. Um, it's interesting, though. All 36,000 New York Police Department officers are in uniform and on notice for deployment after Trump called for his supporters to protest his imminent indictment. 36,000 police officers are standing by to control Trump. I, I, mean, I, just, I don't know. It's probably just me. New York Times this morning says Donald Trump has told friends and associates that he welcomes the idea. This is the New York Times this morning. Welcomes the idea of being paraded by the authorities before a throng of reporters and news cameras. Then the New York Times quickly jumps in with editorial comments in their supposedly news story. They say no one is quite sure whether his remarks are bravo or genuine resignation about what lies ahead for Donald Trump. Man, I'll tell you. Interestingly enough, though, he is getting his his ratings keep going up. There was a story yesterday. Uh, says this, uh, from Morning Consult, which is not a conservative uh, survey uh, company at all. I mean, they, they lean left uh, most all of the time. But it said this week's Morning Consult survey demonstrates gains for the former president, as he now has 54 percent support up from 52% uh, recorded last week. This came out, uh, I think it was yesterday. And so um, his ratings keep going up. The more they try to get him, you know, make him not only vanquish him, but make him disappear. It's, it's kind of an amazing time that we live in today. Remember, I talked about this. It was several years ago, but it's I remember it because it was the most unique thing about this subject that I had mentioned on this radio program. Remember Rachel Dolezal? She she lived in Spokane. Maybe she still does. I don't think she does now, but I think she split. But um, she lived lived in Spokane, and she's a white woman. Her parents are like white. They're like 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 Scandinavian, I mean, they're just white, blue-eyed people. But she was posing as a black because she identified as a black, and she was actually headed up the local chapter. Was it the NAACP? I, I think so. I'm not sure. Our listeners in Spokane would remember this, and you would probably know. Well, anyway, remember her? And I talked about her. She was in the national news as well. And she'd been heading up this black organization, and she she's white. She's not black. She just identified, and she kind of fixed her hair and one thing or another. And uh, her parents finally came forward, and they didn't live in Spokane. I think they lived somewhere else. I can't remember where it was. But they finally came forward and said, man, our daughter is not black. You know, we're, we are white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired. I mean, if she was black, that would be fine, but she's not black. And then she obviously had to resign her job heading up this black organization, which I think was NAACP, but whatever it was. Anyway, that Rachel, okay? Well, Rachel is still 
soldiering on uh, on her identification as a black. She um, she 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 joined Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, who um, is been under scrutiny for some irregularities in the uh, in the last election in Arizona. She joined uh, Governor Katie Hobbs in uh, Arizona this last week for the signing of an executive order. For all you Arizonans that listen to this program, and, and a lot of you do, and thank you for your support in Tucson. We need, need your support, and thank you so much. But this executive order prohibits race-based hair discrimination. And it was Rachel, the white girl who says she's black, that, that did her hair in kind of an Afro type thing. And so she's down there joining this Katie Hobbs in, in um, signing this bill on race-based hair discrimination. Uh, the story says, commonly known as the Crown Act or creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, Hobbs' executive order mimics a law that failed to pass through Congress last year and prohibits a race-based hair discrimination for state employees and contractors. She's still going with this thing, and, and it's all about hair. This this is the problem in America today, and obviously it's a problem in Arizona. I mean, they had an excellent candidate running for governor, and there were so many irregularities, and I, I'm not like firsthand familiar with what went on there, but from what I read... There's a lot of questions that still remain unanswered. That Carrie Lake was was conservative and I think reflected at least a good part of Arizona. But oh no, this Katie Hobbs she wouldn't even debate Carrie Lake. She refused it. So now she's teamed up with this Katie Hobbs is teamed up with Rachel Dolezal, uh, citing into law this hair this hair uh, law that you can't discriminate against people. In other words, if they have this four-foot-tall afro and they work, you know, at the front desk of the Capitol, you can't ask them to, you know, could you trim that back a little bit? Can't do that. That would be illegal. We are playing with fire, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. <clears throat> I uh, We're playing with fire because we live in a hostile world the world, many of the countries of the world, some of the most powerful ones, are very hostile toward America. And I, I think, I, I don't claim to be an expert on global affairs, but I am pretty well read. I read a lot and consume a lot of news every day from a lot of sources. And boy, it's concerning. But I'm not the only one that's concerned about it. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what's happening today and some of the results of this cockamamie kind of ideology that is everywhere, whether it's Katie Hobbs and her hair deal down in Arizona, or whether it's Joe Biden and some of his nonsense with the LGBTQ obsession. I mean, whatever it is, we can't live like this as a nation or as an individual. We can't plant these kinds of seeds without reaping the consequence. You can't plant... <laughs> I grew up on a farm, actually on an orchard. You can't plant an apple tree and expect to pick peaches off of it. It doesn't work that way. I don't understand all the 
genetics of fruit trees, but I do know that apple trees produce apples and peach trees produce peaches. I know you can graft them for you orchardists that are listening, and I know some of you are. I know you can graft them. I understand that. I tried to learn how to graft when I was a kid. I didn't do very well, but I, I worked at it. But we are planting seeds of destruction, expecting very different outcomes, expecting utopia. And it doesn't work that way. I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to talk to you a little bit about the military and about some things that were said in the Senate this week about that. But one of the oldest surviving biblical manuscripts, nearly a complete 1,100-year-old Hebrew Bible, has uh, surfaced. And wouldn't you know, Sotheby's is going to be trying to market it, sell it to somebody for between 30 and $50 million is what they've put the value on this Bible. I think it's more valuable than that. I think it's it's worth more than silver and gold can pay uh, because it's the Bible. It's the Old Testament, but it's the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and I saw a little article on that this morning. It says the Codex Sassoon, it's a leather-bound, handwritten parchment containing almost the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. That would be our Old Testament. It's set to go... Uh, uh, on the block at Sotheby's in New York in May, its anticipated sale speaks to the still bullish market for art, and it talks about art a little bit. And it says there are three Hebrew Bibles from this period, uh, according to this, uh, Yusef Ofer. He's a professor of Bible studies at Israel's uh, university. But the Codex Sassoon, Aleppo Codex from the 10th century, and the Leningrad Codex from the early 11th century are the the three oldest that is known on, on the planet. Only the Dead Sea Scrolls and a handful of other early medieval texts are older, and an entire Hebrew Bible, this article says, is relatively rare. I would say so. Starting in a few centuries before the Codex Sassoon's creation, it says Jewish scholars known as Masoretes started codifying oral traditions of how to properly spell pronounce, punctuate, and chant the words of Judaism's holiest book. Unlike Torah scrolls, where the Hebrew letters are devoid of vowels and punctuation, these manuscripts contained extensive annotation uh, instructing readers how to recite the words correctly. And it goes goes on and on. But anyway, uh, there's one uh, person, uh, Sharon Lieberman-Mintz. She's a senior Judica specialist with Sotheby's, she says it's like the emergence of the Bible text as we know it today. She said it's so fundamental, not only for Judaism, but also for the world culture. That is so true, because the Bible has been the basis for discovering and, and, and communicating through laws and rules and policies and so on, the, the system of law that the world knows. From the earliest recorded history of mankind, there were rules like murder and do not murder and this. And that's drawn from the Ten Commandments. That's drawn from the Hebrew Bible. And our laws today, and I've said this before, but our laws today in America, a relatively young country, our laws were drawn from the Bible. Blackstone codified 
the rules of the Bible, the cultural rules, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, you know, so on, from the Ten Commandments primarily, but other verses as well. And they codified that into law. And so that is, that's an understatement that this Sotheby woman is making, this uh, Lieberman Mintz. And she's saying it is fundamentally important to the world culture. And it is. And it is so because the world culture has been built on those principles. So it isn't just us Christians or evangelicals or whatever like myself, saying, boy, this, you know, the Bible is really important. I mean, the culture of the world, including the other religions of the world, have drawn from the Bible, from the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew text, for their laws to bring some kind of order out of chaos in the culture. And we have so, we've worked so hard in America to get rid of that, to flesh it, to erase it, whatever, that now we find ourselves without any moorings. And we're just floating around and we have people like the current leadership in the White House. And this isn't a political statement. It's a spiritual one. It's concerning. Because without any vision, without any understanding of right and wrong, not actual right and wrong, not what we decide that it is, there is chaos There is no order in the culture, and a complete culture breaks down. A family breaks down, a personal life breaks down, and a culture breaks down. You simply can't live like that and survive. You just simply can't. The Bible is the guide for life. You say, well, I'm a a Buddhist. I don't believe that. Well, you're still going to witness, whether you're a Buddhist or whatever you are, an atheist or whatever, you're still going to live with the consequences of violating eternal laws of God. That's the point. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Another Psalm 19 says, Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Talking about the words of the Lord. Wherewith shall a young man, Psalm 119, wherewith wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? And Jesus said said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And and, I mean, it's so overwhelming, the evidence of influence on the spiritual life of the world, really, whether they accept it or not, but on the cultural life world, the governmental, the secular part of the world. So that's why it's so important that when they rip down the flag or throw out the Ten Commandments or break up the granite outside some courthouse somewhere and try to destroy, I mean, it's important. It's really important. Those are not just icons of history. That is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord stands, and everything's going to pass away except the word of the Lord. My word shall not pass away, God says. I'm going with God. I believe him. I believe his word is not going to pass away, and I'm going to try to stay as close to that as I can. And when I fail, I will ask for his forgiveness. I will not reject the word of the Lord. And I know many of you feel the same way. 
in a floor speech that urged Capitol Hill and the White House to prepare the U.S. Armed Forces to fight and win a future war, the top Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee warned his colleagues this week that war can't be fought if military recruiting keeps falling short. The Pentagon is witnessing the worst military recruiting shortfall in 50 years. That warning mirrors a U.S. Army statement that said it experienced the worst recruiting last year since it became an all-volunteer force. Abraham Lincoln said, The philosophy in the classroom today will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. Last October, the Army Times reported that the Army fell about 15,000 soldiers, or 25% short, of its recruitment goal for the year. Officials confirmed on Friday, despite a frantic effort to make up the widely expected gap of the year when all the military services struggled and tight jobs and so on, they're blaming it on tight jobs and and all of this kind of thing because there's so many opportunities and blah, blah, blah. But the Times noted that the Army's second-in-command for all things training said that the service saw a 10% drop in aptitude test scores during the pandemic, and that dipped further to 13% this year after the pandemic. Other Army data shows that up to 70% of potential recruits interested in Army service are disqualified in the first 48 hours due to obesity, low test scores, or drug use, or all of the above. Previously, that disqualification rate was between 30 and 40%. Now, as I said, it's 70%. This Lieutenant General Maria Jervis, she's Deputy Commanding General of Army Training and Doctrine Command. She says, quote, The formula for hitting end-strength goals lies in recruiting, retention, and lowering attrition. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but yeah, we know that. The goal here is to figure out how to recruit to create some kind of retention at lower attrition, not just to define the problem, but to solve it. And that's what progressives do. I don't know that she is. I, I don't know anything about her. But, I mean, she's kind of stating the obvious, like, well, the, you know, the way to get warm is to stand out in the sun, which uh, needs to rise in the east. And, uh, I mean, okay, she's stating the obvious. That's true. But everybody knows You've got to sign up people and convince them to stay in the military and for a period of time, and you've got to kind of talk them into staying a little longer maybe than they planned on. I mean, that's real basic stuff. That's true in anything, any business, any kind of a, an effort. It's true for all leadership or almost all leadership in almost all situations of leadership. Could it be that the problem, the problem, the real problem is one that they can't say out loud? I think it might be. President Lincoln understood the principle, what you sow, you reap. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Continuing, the scripture says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So could it be that after a generation of teaching our kids there is no absolute truth, there are no fixed values or principles, human sexuality is fluid, therefore you may be a boy, you may be a girl, it's how you feel and how you identify at any given time. 
Our sons and our daughters are told that an open LGBTQAI plus blah, blah, blah in the, in the military gives us an exclusive, diverse fighting force. They're also told that America was not founded on biblical principles by Christians. It was founded in 1619 by slave traders, not in 1776 by patriots. This generation feels hopeless. Anyone would feel hopeless if they've been baptized in this crazy, destructive ideology that we've been teaching our kids from kindergarten right through university and right into real life from the leftist Democrat administration. Why would they fight for anybody? I mean, if all of this is true, why would they fight? I mean, what is there to fight for? We stole the land from the indigenous. We're, we're a horrible nation. We have eternal sin that we can never fully redeem ourselves from, but we must keep trying by, quote, writing checks and giving people, you know, places in universities that they don't deserve on merit and on and on and on. That's the problem in America. And I, again, I'm, I'm not an expert on military, but I sure want one that's good and strong. And so many men and women have given their lives for liberty and the freedom in this nation to see us where we are today. Not my view, but according to people who are most informed, they're saying, boy, we have a problem. Why would these kids want to fight for all this if we're slave traders and we're the seed of of racism and on and on? It's the woke insanity that our sons and daughters have been baptized that's producing these results. And to underscore fairness to atheists, we've, especially in the Air Force, we've punished our military personnel at the Academy in the Colorado Springs for openly sharing their personal faith in Jesus Christ. We've ripped pictures with Christian content off the walls at the Air Force Base at Mountain Home, Idaho. I talked about it on this program. Last week, Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, he gave a floor speech to Congress He outlined the problem of recruiting and retention, and he nailed it. He said, we have long had cutting-edge technology, but our secret weapon has always been our people. The Republican senator also criticized this hyper-political culture. That's what he called it. He said it's infected our U.S. armed forces. And he was referring to the Biden administration's obsession He said, with homosexual rights, transgenders, personal pronouns, and race-based equity training. The focus, Wicker warned, he said, takes a sledgehammer to military readiness and recruiting. That is so true. When you teach an ideology, a worldview that collides and contradicts the word of the Lord, the truth, the absolute infallible truth. It doesn't matter how big, how rich a nation is. There is that opportunity that when we forget God, when we turn away from God, when we reject God violently sometimes, we will pay the consequence. I'm a humble man and I I don't know a lot, but I do know this. When you plant wheat, you get wheat. What you plant, what you sow, is what you reap. The interruption of that is when we have sinned and lived in sin or whatever. 
Jesus Christ died for our sins and was resurrected. And when we accept him, he cancels our sin. Otherwise, we go on living with the consequence of what we what we sow. And that's where we are in America today. Well, I'm out of time, but thank you so much for being with me today. We'll continue this conversation right here tomorrow. And thank you for your support. We need it. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.